Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and uh, say I think we're probably filming somewhere near Thanksgiving and say to you happy holidays across the board. Uh, first of all, for Thanksgiving, and then as we head towards Christmas. Thank you for joining us uh, during this period of time. I've been really, truly enjoying sharing this series on the book of Judges, and even in my travels, I've been preaching uh, a great deal on this, and uh, uh, just keeps on opening up to me. But what I love about being in the TV studio is that I can really dig in and get some details that... Uh, I don't normally get to share in the settings where we're uh, limited on time. So thank you for joining and watching the series. And it's been good to meet several of you, even in our travels, who've come up to me and said, hey, we're watching you on YouTube or we're watching you on the Impact Television Network. We do appreciate that. Uh, let me say that this is probably, I think, somewhere around uh, the 13th program, somewhere in that range, maybe more that we have shared on the book of Judges, and we're going to continue this study. As you know, we usually do things in a series form, and uh, if you've missed any of these programs, you can go back and watch them on YouTube, and uh, then you can watch them on demand, and uh, the simplest way to do that is simply to go to my website, and in the upper right-hand corner, there are icons that will take you directly to our YouTube channel, or if you'd like to listen to the audio portions of it, our podcast are available for uh, your iPhone, and there is an Android uh, feed there for, there's an RSS feed for your Android device so that you can get the message in so many different ways. While you're there at the website, uh, you could also take a look at some of the products that we have there that I think would be a blessing to you and maybe to many of your friends throughout the Christmas holidays. We have several books that we've written, and, and uh, uh, you know, From Law to Grace is on there, one of our uh, powerful books. The second edition of The Revelation of Jesus Christ is on there. The Great I Am, which is the newest book that I've written, is on there, as well as Unforced Rhythms of Grace. They make great Christmas gifts for people who are hungry for the Word, or you could even, while you're on the website, if you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry, that would help us to continue to do this as our contracts are coming due again in December. So we do need your help. We appreciate you for your faithfulness and your giving to uh, our ministry, and your partnership is absolutely imperative for us to be able to share this. Uh, the whole series on the book of Judges begins like this. It says, now after the death of Joshua, and uh, if you've been watching these, I'm not going to take a long time to go back and reiterate uh, some of the things that we've said concerning that, but uh, I shared with you how that the book of Joshua starts out by saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Arise now, Joshua, and get ready to take the people into the promised land. And we showed you how that the book of Joshua was about a transition between Moses and Joshua, which Joshua, of course, you know, is the Hebrew name Yeshua. It is the English name we translate Jesus. So it's a picture of moving from law to grace. And so Moses brought them out with a rod, and Joshua brings them in with a mercy seat. Some very, very powerful things there concerning the book of Joshua. But when you come to the book of Judges, it says, now after the death of Joshua. And our whole uh, series has been based on what happens after the death 
of Yeshua. And we know then again that that was a picture of the death of Jesus. What did the death of Jesus exact? And what we showed you throughout uh, much of what we've already shared from the book of Judges is that the book of, uh, after the death of Jesus in the new covenant, that there was a judgment that was executed through 12 apostles. As Jesus says to the 12 apostles, you will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then uh, in the book of Judges, there are 12 judges. There's some incredible parallels. But what I begin to show you is that judgment is not always a bad thing. Uh, we shared from Psalm 149 where he said, This honor have all of his saints to execute the judgment written. And we started, you know, Psalm 149, of course, begins by singing, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Uh, let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them sing aloud upon their bed. Let a sharp two-edged sword be in their hand. And all of those terminologies are terminologies that are talking about the new covenant. So when you think about singing to the Lord a new song, the new song is found in Revelation, the fifth chapter, where they start singing, Thou hast redeemed us. They, and they sang, as it were, a new song, singing, Thou hast redeemed us. So the new song is the song of redemption. And not only is it the song of redemption from the first verse, but sing unto, uh, let the children of Zion be joyful. Zion is an icon in Hebrews chapter 12 that speaks of the new covenant. For you did not come to Mount Sinai. You didn't come to blackness and darkness, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. And so he was showing them that that's what they had moved. And in the, in the book of Hebrews, they were moving from an old covenant into a new covenant. And when I saw the last few verses where he said, this honor have all of his saints to execute the judgment written upon their nobles and upon their kings, is that we begin to share with you how my attorney said to me, Lynn, judgment is not always a bad thing. I said, well, everything I've ever been taught most of my life was always if you hear the word judgment, it's like you're really in trouble. The judgment of God's about to fall on you. But what we realized then is that when Jesus was lifted up, uh, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world judged. And that judgment that took place on the cross was a judgment in our favor. And so our enemies were defeated. So the judgment is against uh, the enemies uh, uh, of the kingdom of God. And let me say this, that's not, that's not talking about individuals. When I'm thinking about principalities and powers and even their kings and their nobles, I'm thinking about ruling things in our lives that have no legal right in our life anymore because of the redemption of Jesus. So when I'm thinking about executing the judgment written, what I'm thinking in terms of is I am enforcing a judgment that was accomplished in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's tree. And if you've been watching the program, you've heard me say that every one of these guys in the book of Judges do something in the visible realm that is a picture of the redemptive work of God. And we saw how, first of all, uh, last week I think it was, or one of the weeks we were talking about J.L. who had a nail and she put it on the head of Sisera and nailed him to the floor. She gave him, first of all, milk to drink. And then she took a nail and put it on his head in his temple and nailed that, that dude to the ground. And what we showed you is the nail is connected to the same word that was used where they nailed Jesus to the cross. 
Sisera's name means uh, basically this war that goes on between our ears and this fight and this battle with our, 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 our thought processes and how uh, we can take the nail of the person and work of Calvary and put it on this thing between our ears. And, and I think it's incredible that she gave him milk to drink, which is the sincere milk of the Word, which is needed by people who are not exercised in the Word of Righteousness. And so one of the key things that we preach very strongly through our ministry is that in the new covenant, righteousness is not based on your performance. It's based on a gift because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. We reign in life by one Christ Jesus. So when we reign in life, we are enforcing a judgment against anything that would be in opposition to the life that God wants to give us in this new covenant which is the abundant life on every level. Now, what I begin to see, even as we go through all of those, you know, I mean, with Shamgar, he, he, the highways were unoccupied. And we talked about how, uh, you know, uh, the Scripture talks about, uh, I'm, I'm going to make a highway in the desert. And it's in the context where Isaiah said, Behold, I'm going to do a new thing. Again, that highway in the desert is a new way of walking with God. It is the life that, that is produced as we are walking with Him under this new covenant paradigm. And, and even uh, the, the quote that he makes in there, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, finds its fulfillment in the gospel of Matthew when it identifies John as that very voice. So those prophetic words given by Isaiah were pointing to a new day, a new way of doing things, a new creation. And when Jesus walked down over the bank of the Jordan River, uh, He was really introducing this is the Redeemer and the redemption that is ours through His person and work, His death, burial, and resurrection was a judgment uh, that was absolutely exacted on all of the principalities and powers, and the rightful owner of the kingdom was now on the scene. The royal seat of David was there to bring us, if you will, a victory over all of our enemies. Now, what we saw throughout the, the book of, Re uh, not Revelation, but the book of Genesis, especially in the first couple of chapters, it talked about the children of, of Israel, and it, it named each one of these tribes. And it would say, well, the children of Manasseh, they took this territory, but they also allowed this group of people to live there, and they took tribute from them. And then it would say the tribe of Ephraim did this, but they didn't completely defeat the enemies, and they didn't drive them out because they were willing to live with some of their enemies because they took tribute from them. But God said, what happens is, when you don't by the finished work of Jesus, drive out the things that are in opposition. In other words, the things that live in our land, and I'm talking about us individually. This is our land, our house. People, what we refuse to drive out ultimately became the thorns in their sides. And the whole theme of that first chapter or two is, what are you willing to live with? And so what we looked at was, well, you know, if we are willing to live with sin, with sickness, with poverty, or with death, then those things that we are allowed to live in our land that we have not conquered, in other words, there was some land, the, the finished work of Jesus finished the work, but we overcome by the blood of the Lamb 
and by the word of our testimony. In other words, there's still some overcoming to be done, not through human strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit as God causes us to triumph and give us the victory over things in our lives, whether it is sickness and disease. I think I probably told the story of I was doing ministry uh, many years ago in Louisiana, and uh, a lot of people were getting healed and set free and delivered. And uh, the next night I walked in the door, and a lady came up to me, and she said, uh, she said, Brother Howe, she said, if the Lord gives you anything for me tonight of healing, don't give it to me. And I was like shocked, and I'm thinking, well, what? <laughs> it was just kind of shock. And she said, no, she said, I don't want you to, I don't want to get healed. I just finally got my disability check, and I don't want to give it up. And I'm thinking, man, I think I'd rather have health and wholeness than I would a disability check. And so I thought, well, if you don't want to get healed, probably God's not going to heal you. And so I think there are things sometimes that people are willing to live with. I think sometimes people have used sickness or uh, um, uh, disorders to manipulate and control people. I've seen people who use sickness so that they could get pity, and that was their that was their default setting for how to get their needs met, so to speak. And so, in other words, but then there are also things in our lives, and uh, probably all of us, of issues of sin or think places where we miss the mark at. And, uh, you know, we want deliverance, but do we really want deliverance? And so we're willing to live with those things. And sometimes those are the very things that kind of come back to be thorns in our flesh. And so the enemy would come. And, you know, I, I really find a uh, fulfillment, even in the book of Romans, chapters 1 and 2, and uh, we have a whole playlist here on uh, the book of, uh, and on YouTube on the book of Romans, and in Romans chapter 1 and 2, you know, of course, it lists every kind of sin there is, uh, and he indicts everything and everybody, but then he says that, you know, when they would not retain God in their knowledge, God finally gave them over. In other words, what God does is it's not necessarily that He's the one that's purposely, or He's the one that's doing the judging. It's that our own sin reproves us, and our own iniquity judges us. It becomes thorns in our flesh until we begin to cry out for deliverance. So what God did in the book of Romans was He simply gave them over to do those things which were not convenient, and they received in themselves the recompense of their error which was meat. In other words, they started to reap what they sow. And while I don't believe God is holding your sin against you, there are repercussions to our activities. If you don't think sin is important or serious under the new covenant or that behavior is not important, we could take a look back at Abraham and see that one trip to Hagar's tent, just one single trip to Hagar's tent produced an Ishmael, and thousands of years later we got uh, the seed of Abraham in the Middle East right now pointing nuclear weapons at each other. And if you don't think your behavior is important, maybe you ought to think about the ramifications of it somewhere down the road in reaping what you sow. And once again, that's not God doing the judging. That is simply something that you have refused to drive out of your land because you're willing to live with it. So what are you willing to live with? But as we open this new uh, segment here, we're going to talk about Gideon for the next couple of weeks. And we're going to, let's just go here to uh, Judges, the sixth chapter. He's the next judge that we're going to talk about. In verse number one of uh, Judges 6, it says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel 
because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, the strongholds which are in the mountains. In other words, they were hiding out. So it was when Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them and they would encamp against them and destroy the produce as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. Now look at this. I want you to see something. Because the children of Israel did not drive out the Midians, now the Midianites, now the Midianites have, have come up against them until uh, the, the children of Israel are living in dens and caves and strongholds which are in the mountains. In other words, they're hiding from their enemies rather than defeating their enemies. And it said that what, what, what would happen is that the Midianites would come up against, also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and destroy, watch this, the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. So they would begin to destroy uh, the, the fruit. So what happens is sometimes I think the things that we've allowed to creep into our lives are actually enemies of the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of what we should be able. In other words, when we believe lies, the Scripture said if you believe a lie, you'll be damned. That doesn't necessarily mean you go to hell after a while. The word damned there means to be condemned. If you believe lies, you come into the judgment of whatever lie it is. The word uh, uh, damned there has to do with condemnation or being condemned. You come into the condemnation of whatever lie you believe. In other words, if some, you know, there's a real, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of things I've seen on social media here lately uh, uh, that they call cessationism, which it means the gifts of the Spirit and, and speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit all went out in the first century, uh, which I strongly disagree with. But if you believe that, you're going to certainly limit your ability to receive from what the gifts of the Spirit have. Many are weak and sickly among us because we haven't discerned the Lord's body and we're not operating in maybe some things that God has for us. And one of the things that I always say in response to the fact that everybody says, well, that went out with the first century. Well, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, uh, when he's talking to them about this transition from law to grace and moving from old covenant to new covenant, he said they tasted of the power of the age to come. The power was from the coming age, and the coming age was the new covenant age. God would not give us a mandate to, uh, to disciple nations and then take the power tools from us. And I think if we believe those lies, then we're not going to operate in the stuff that belongs to us. I think that praying in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up in the most holy faith, or as the Scripture declares that when you pray uh, in the Spirit and you pray in tongues, it is groanings and utterances. that the Spirit, well, We don't know what the mind of the Spirit is, just praying the Holy Ghost. And I think it's one of the greatest weapons that we could use is our prayer language. And when we start to pray in the Holy Spirit, uh, I believe things start to happen even in our own physical bodies. And so what happens is, is that there is a, uh, 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 an absolute destruction of the fruit that would be in our lives when you start to believe lies in the things that we've left creep into the body of Christ. And, and so, you know, so they would, de they would destroy the, the produce of the land and they leave them no sustenance or supply. You know, I don't know about you, but I believe people are tired of a religious system 
that is, is more of an entertainment-based system where there's no move of the Holy Spirit at all or even time uh, for God to create the miraculous among us. And so we're going to see, even as we come down through this study with Gideon, how that we being many are one bread. And so when the body of Christ begins to function like it's supposed to, and we begin to, to move in what is ours, I believe that there's going to be fruit. There's going to be manifestations. There's going to be, you know, divers gifts of the Holy Ghost, but not just those kinds of things in the miraculous, but also see, because we can look at the gifts of the Spirit, but God is not just interested in giving us gifts of the Spirit without giving us fruit of the Spirit. A lot of people got gifts that don't have any fruit. And I think we need to put just as much emphasis on the fruit of the Spirit as we do the gifts of the Spirit. And so the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and temperance and all these things, uh, you know, are the fruit that I believe he's talking about that is plundered when we let things come in. You know, I was uh, sharing this week in Texas how that somebody's got to teach us how to hate. And when we let things creep into, when we let the Midianites, if you will, creep into our lives, and we stay stirred up sometimes even by, uh, you know, like news medias or uh, Facebook posts or social media things. It is amazing to me how people are so offended these days at just about everything you can imagine. It's like we carry an offense on our shoulders, and then sometimes how we act as believers certainly does not manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's nothing more than a trick of the enemy of these Midianites, if you will, to try to keep you from producing a fruit that can bring peace around you, gentle meekness, temperance against such, there is no law. And, uh, you know, I went on, it goes on to say, it says, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass that as the, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet, thank God to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt, and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. I also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites, and whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. But the angel of the Lord did appears to Gideon. But what I want to do is capitalize, because we have just a little bit of time left, on this, uh, this particular program, that the enemy would come to stop the produce. He would stop to come and impoverish them. He would, and, and sometimes that's not just a physical poverty, although it can be included. But a, I, I think that there are, are many times, there is a spiritual deficit, more so in the American church than there is when I travel abroad. I mean, people are in, uh, I, I'm amazed at the lethargy that I find in the American church. I mean, you're lucky if you can get people to come to church one or two times a, a month on a Sunday. And, uh, and you know, I, and I don't, I'm not trying to be legalistic here, but I think sometimes we've taught our children how to play, but we've not taught them how to pray. We got more interested, and I'm certainly for sports and all the stuff that goes with us. I'm not trying to tell you to quit that. I'm just trying to tell you there's some things that we need to give some priority to, and that's spiritual things in our houses and in our families, because we're going to end up in spiritual poverty. 
there's no, you know, when he writes to the church in the book of Revelation, he says, uh, you know, I know your poverty and the deficit that you are in. And, uh, you know, that you, uh, you are poor, you know, and, uh, but, you know, when you understand that God wants to bring deliverance from that to bring us into a, uh, you know, a, a supply where we're not being plundered by the enemy. But one of the things that really stuck out to me that they came as numerous as locusts. And what stuck out to me about that word locust is in the book of, uh, um, um, you know, in the book of Joel, it says that when the locust came, it came, if you read it in the Amplified Bible, it came, it came hopping, gnawing, crawling, and then airborne. And it's not four different locusts, but four stages of the same locust. Now, I think that these locusts are like grasshoppers. Remember the children of Israel, when they went into the promise, before they, the reason they spent another 40 years without their promise was because all they saw was how big the enemy was. And they said, we are grasshoppers in our own sight, so were we in theirs. So I think that these grasshoppers are losing mentalities that makes you see yourself much smaller and less powerful than you really are. And in the book of Joel, when it starts out hopping or starts out gnawing, then hopping, then crawling, and then first thing you know, it's airborne, is that it's four stages of the same locust. In other words, our losing mentalities don't start out flying. They start out gnawing. It's the little things that start to gnaw on us, that make us start to doubt. There's a lot of stuff being preached called the gospel that does not produce faith. It makes people doubt their faith, makes them doubt the validity of the word, makes them doubt the validities of the scripture makes them doubt God. And when it starts to do that, it starts to deteriorate your faith and you get this grasshopper mentality and it starts to crawl, gnaw, hop, and then it's airborne. And the first thing you know, in the book of Job, the, the fig tree is empty, the barns are empty, the corn's gone, the oil, the wine, and the oil are in deficit, and they are impoverished. So our thinking, our stinking thinking, and sometimes the losing mentalities that we entertain are things that rob us. But I love the fact, and this, 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 I think this is so neat, but when John the Baptist came on the scene, the voice of one crying in the wilderness the Bible said his meat was locust and wild honey, and his message was repent, which means change the way you think, for the kingdom is at hand, and his meat was locust and wild honey. This man was a bug eater. <laughs> he was eating locust and wild honey, and wild honey is promised land stuff. So what I begin to see is when you preach the kingdom, and you preach the dominion, and you preach the authority of the believer the way it is supposed to be preached, what happens is, is that you start to realize that I can t conquer this enemy, and you start to destroy those losing mentalities, and you start to be able to be an overcomer because you're starting to eat these locusts and then as a result you're eating from the promised land and then you see the kingdom of God and that begin to manifest and God begin to restore the provision where you're no longer impoverished spiritually or physically. Well we're out of time. Uh, if you've got a moment, take a moment to uh, write to us uh, if you could sow seed into the ministry, we'd greatly appreciate it. You can go to our website. There's an easy way to give there via credit card or debit card. There's also a place there where you could do a monthly debit if you'd like to give monthly, or you can give a one-time gift. You can also send a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen, or you could pick up the phone and call our office 
If no one answers the phone, please leave a message and they will return your call and you can sow a seed over the telephone through our uh, office. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.